One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I need to ask you something. What happened back there? In the moonlight? The fishing boat? That wasn't you, was it? Because for me, you were never truly about that. Yes, I understand that your lifeblood is water 
and water is change just as much as it is death or life, and all things must change. Yes, there is beauty and finality in the mindless peace of the crawling and shittiness things that are left in the wake of your high tides. But my eyes would glaze over when I heard Nana Glass speak of these things. I would sit there in defiant silence, with my head bowed, as I listened to the Catabasians recite those passages from our sacred texts, the ones which I could not believe in with my whole heart, which I could never whisper to myself in the cradle of moonlight, because they were not you as I knew you, my sweet and dangerous river. Only some fallible, all-too-human misinterpretation of what you ought to be. For me, you are stillness, and you are fury. Back in the reform house, the supervisors would tell us to hold hands as we walked to school so we didn't lose ourselves in the city. And we'd scurry in a teetering line of black uniforms, up through the city blocks of steel and glass. Amidst the endless scaffolds and cranes and the cycling havoc of construction built on devastation, the smug, divinely branded placards overhead announcing what each new excavation was going to become and how much it would cost to have a home there. I would dream then about your waters rising to swallow all of this. The iron manholes popping open in celebration the rivets and seams of the world coming loose as you flooded forth. The sewers and then the streets and smoking towers overflowing with your dark and tempestuous currents. The cries of the hopeless and the damned swelling and then ebbing once more as your terrible final tide swept over them. All of that wretched inescapable horror of the life above being swept away and drowned far below silence descending back onto the road in the cities a new emptiness becoming a world I could stand to be a part of I'm out here in the woods, my dark and lonely river. I can't see you, but you're everywhere around me. The ghostly silver birch are the only silhouettes against the flat of the endless mists. They stand out like marker posts at the low tide. The earth is soft and fluid here and my boots sink with every step. Your waters truly do extend far beyond their natural territories. I am 
perfectly alone here. I am lightly equipped. A torch, in case I lose my way. A box of matches, in case the torch runs low. A folding knife, as ever. My copy of the Silt Verses, stowed away in a birdwatcher's manual. I hope that, somehow, the miracle of the fishing boat wasn't really your work. I hope it wasn't the only truth you wanted to show me. I'm not sure what I'll do if it was. Just wanted to stop and take a photograph. We need to get to the springs if we're going to get back to the road before it gets dark. We don't have time for you to stop every five minutes to... Does it matter if we don't make it to the springs? But I mapped it as a loop. We came to the springs, darling. I don't understand why you... Afternoon. Hello. Hi. Lovely weather. Well, do you want to go back? Because we can head back. Like you say, it doesn't matter. Even though we mapped it as a loop. I don't want to go back. I just want this to be a nice experience. Not everything needs to be an argument. You know what? Forget it. Let's keep walking. The looks of pity on their faces. Poor dear, out here all alone. Without the yelling and the bickering. No one for company. Do you remember Todd? my river. For the last two years of the reform home, he was my closest companion. During that brief, crowded period of life when connecting with other people seemed so deceptively simple. I had learned all the moves. You could simply quote the popular films. And declare your passion for the popular music. And if you drank enough illicit wine together in the dormitories, sooner or later the other foundlings would wrap their arms around you and decide that this was friendship. Todd must have thought he was being so brave when he finally plucked up the nerve to tell me, you know, a lot of the others think we're a couple. Do they? I said. Do you never think about it? He asked. I try not to waste my time wondering about what other people think, I told him. I mean about us, he said. I think about you plenty, I said. Not... I think about you a lot. I think about you plenty. Because even then, young as I was, I knew how words can be used against you. Todd was already looking so hurt. He'd led us down to the old bridge in the city park, a place of solitude and running water amongst the smog and the towers, because he knew I loved to walk alone by the running water. 
It created the perfect conditions for this moment when his great romantic story could begin at last. But for reasons beyond his grasp, I just wasn't allowing it. He must have thought I was being obtuse. You need to talk to me, he said. And angry though he was, he must have thought this was tough love. Breaking through my outer shell. Really, an act of kindness to confront me like this. Come on, be honest with me. What is this, a religious thing? Something to do with your grandmother? Cut and polished fragments of the truth. That was all I'd told anyone. Even that, it turned out, can be turned against you. No, I told him. It's nothing to do with my Nana Glass. It's something to do with me. You could become a Vestal if you wanted to. Todd said, and he said it with a sneer. Maybe that would make you happy, becoming a Vestal. I don't want to be a Vestal, I told him. So what, Mal? You think you don't deserve to be happy? I'm here and I'm telling you that you do. You are so wonderful, so smart and so, so, you do deserve it. That was an intelligent manoeuvre to try and make me feel grateful for whatever it was that he thought he was offering. I think I told him, thanks. I probably could have said, I know that I'm smart. I know that I'm all of those things and more. What does that have to do with you? Or you and I? I could have made it extremely clear that I had known in my heart since adolescence and self-awareness came bearing down upon me like a flood that I didn't want the same things he wanted and that if I was certain of any part of myself I could say right now that I never would want them. But I wasn't certain about myself back then, and I still believed there must be something wrong with me. And even if I had been confident or articulate enough to explain who I was, what I did and didn't want from other people, I still don't think I owed him that. So I was silent. Todd must have decided I was wavering because the softness rose in him again as he leant over and gripped my wrist for a calculated second. He said, You're lonely. I know you're lonely. I see you in the dorms and in the corridors by yourself. You can't pretend you're not. With friends like you, Todd, of course I was lonely. I stayed silent. I turned and walked away. Left him there on the bridge without another backwards glance. 
It didn't take me long to learn how Todd made sense of the conversation between us. As I heard him tell it to people reliably later on, there was still something wrong with me. Whatever the supervisors had been trying to teach us about the world and how it really worked, it had failed in my case. As if faith had anything to do with who I was. With what I wanted and didn't want my life to become. These are the Silt Verses, and I name our disciples thus, in order of their arrival. Maeve de Brune, Daisy Belenkin, Gordon Houston, and B. Nair. Created by John Weir and Muna Houston. Audio production by Sammy Holden. This chapter contains scenes of intense body horror. Listener discretion is advised. Silence returns to the woods. Time passes on. I've left my fellow hikers far behind. It's peaceful out here. This world is composed of a handful of repeating elements. The crunch of golden leaves. The craning trunks of ghostly white birch. The deepening evening sky. This is a strange place. A tenuous place. With every step I take, the woods change. But it's always the same innate patterns. Those same elements recurring and shifting themselves in kaleidoscopic rotation. As if there are only a few trees. And they're coiling in on themselves as I walk. I wonder if... Oh, shit! I've nearly tripped on something. An old, rusted wire snare buried in the long grass comes up in my boot. I yank it hard enough to pull the metal stakes free and then I reach down and lift it up. The head of the snare is barbed. The wire is wound like a fisher's lure. Scraps of rough cloth or leather and a single small splinter of bone have been strung along its length. There is a little dried blood, a little hair or fur still clinging to the rim as if something has been caught in the snare and then carefully removed. I begin to feel a little uneasy. This has meaning to it, this little scrap of wire, beyond the obvious. The bracken is broken ahead. There's a trail leading onwards. I follow it. Some dull and heavy creature came this way. It was already caught. Bleeding from the snare, dragging itself forward, increasingly confused and in pain. 
unable to find its way, snapping branches and crushing ferns beneath its weight until it was crawling, finally dragging itself forwards in agony. Until suddenly the weight was lifted. I look up and almost collide. A great, pale body is twisting back and forth in the air before me, caught and uplifted between the thick birch branches that encircle it. The elk is rotten, skinless. Its bleached bone antlers drooping and tilting as it swings. Weeks or months old. Things have been eating it from below and from above. So it takes a while for me to come to any conclusion, but the elk's head is strange. The snout is somehow wrong. The dimensions are off. The empty sockets cut oddly into the wrong parts of the empty face. Its legs are far too long and thin. They almost stretch to the ground. It has no hooves, but rather spindly toes, almost dangling fingers of bone, encrusted with month-old mud. Perhaps elk are simply like that in these parts. A small and sensible voice whispers from just over my shoulder. Perhaps not all elk have hooves, you're no zoologist. You don't know that to a certainty. You don't have any evidence that anything is actually wrong here, other than a vague and general feeling of unease. And perhaps I could even force myself to believe that, until I reach up and gently swing the carcass around upon its weight, the noose groaning and creaking as it moves and I can see the thick prayer marks that have been scored into the hide of the beast. A triangle, four descending lines, and a circle above like a radiant halo. Not a sign I recognise. If there is a god haunting this place, I don't think it's mine. I think I'd like to get out of these woods before the sun goes down. Every place I've walked, there have been people like Todd. Well-meaning petitioners, would-be companions, lonely and grasping souls who thought they could find their missing meaning in me. None of them ever did really understand who I was or what I needed. I have never been 
more frightened than when I was amongst other people. I have never felt more alone than when I was amongst other people. No, my river. Not even now. <sighs> but you can never quite get away from people, can you? There she is again. Okay, I don't think that matters, darling. I'm going to say something. I want to say something. Please don't. Sometimes you have to take a stand. Gareth, please don't. Oh, hello again. It looks like these woods have got us all turned around. I suppose they have. Take care now. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. You should... You should keep your dog on a leash, you know. I'm sorry. It doesn't matter. It really, really doesn't matter. Your dog. Scared the hell out of my partner when you came by before. Growling and snarling like that. If you can't control it, it should be leashed. I don't have a dog. I didn't see a dog. I didn't hear a dog. You don't have a... You don't... Of course you have a dog. When you came by before. What did it look like? What are you talking about? It was your dog. It ran right after you. I don't have a dog, and if anything was running after me, I need to hear about it right now. This isn't... Look, I don't know what you're playing at. What did the dog look like? It was tall, long-legged and white, and a strange, um, long snout. It circled us, bared its teeth, it growled. And, and then it vanished. And it was following me. No. No, I, I don't think it was. Gareth thought it must have gone after you, because it was gone so quickly. But I don't think that's what I saw. No, you didn't. You don't know what you saw. She doesn't have her glasses with her. She can barely see where she's going. I have to lead her everywhere. It was your dog! It ran into the space between the trees, and it didn't come out again. And you're sure it was a dog? I mean, um, what else could it have been? Anything else? That runs in the forest on four long legs with bared white teeth. You don't know what you saw. This is ridiculous. Yes, it is. We're all in danger, and you're wasting my time. Stop talking. The sun is setting, and these woods are a place you can get lost in. That is a certainty. Which way is your car? It's, um, that way, I think. About an hour and a half's walk. An hour and a half? We mapped it as a loop. <sighs> the river road is southwest from here. We need to head that way, and we need to do it fast. I've got a friend who's coming to pick me up on the roadside at dusk. That's going to be quicker than trying to make it to your car. Look, 
Look, steady on. How are we in danger exactly? I think these woods might be sacred to something. That isn't on the map. No, it wouldn't be on the map. Oh, you're checking the map. I'm not safe with these people and their inane, restless squabbling. I don't belong with them. I will not be safe until I turn from them and stride away through the ghost birch woods and leave them here to the mercy of whatever's running loose through the trees. I am going to leave them here. Excuse me. Excuse me. What did you say your names were? We don't have to tell you I'm Charity, and, um, this is Gareth. You didn't have to tell her that. It's like I'm the only reasonable one out here. Gareth! Listen to me. Please, don't talk. Just listen. I need you to put the map down and come with me, because it's very likely that... Catch up or stay behind. It's up to you. Watch for snares. Hold on. Charity. Did you see that? Don't stop. Don't look. Walk faster. There's two of them now. Well, shouldn't we be running? If we run, they might give chase. This is a good pace. We're brisk. We're not fleeing. Who's they? The dogs? They're not dogs. You sure? Yes, I'm sure. Now come on. Not quite true. I wish I could only be certain about the shapes in the distance slipping in and out of focus amongst the ghost birch. I wish I could deny what I think I saw out of the corner of my eye. How their long snouts seem to unfurl when they snarl, twisting jaws coming in to meet one another like the loop of a noose. How they're sometimes running on all four long and slender legs. And sometimes they're dancing on two. Do you, um, know where you're going? I'm just walking with confidence. But your partner's map didn't seem to be doing much good either. I'm sorry about him. Yeah, don't worry about it. You're both from the city. Yes, but actually, I grew up near here. Coming back to get married. (sighs) We haven't been together all that long. It's been difficult. I thought it might be nice to come back and show him where I was from. I don't suppose you remember the fastest way to the road. I'm sorry. It's been a long time. Is it like you remember it? Coming back here. It never is, is it? I can't get a handle on these trees, you know. Everything's so overgrown here. It's like this place wants you to lose your way. Hmm. 
Up ahead. Can you see it, Charity? It's a house. Oh, thank goodness. We've come to something in the trees. Salvation, my companions seem to think, and they scurry forward ahead of me with renewed haste and relief combined. A low hillock, peeking up over the trees before us, cleared of birch and bracken, surrounded by drifting pale grass. And on top of the hillock stands a grand old house, or something that was a house once, and still wears its face. The bone-white birch has burst up through the floor, winding its pathways upwards through shattered windows. The falling colonnades are choked with ivy. This place has thrown itself at the forest and been impaled upon it. There is a single glass archway, unbroken, overlooking the central porch. The empty doorway hangs open, revealing a hall and a staircase within. All right, come on. We can shelter inside. Barricade the doors. It's elevated terrain. We can wait out till dusk. I'm not so sure that's a good idea. Why not? I came here looking for the haunt of a god. I think this might be it. Oh, I've had enough of this. We're going in. It's elevated terrain. Look, just listen to me. He's no longer capable of listening. He strides up the hill ahead of us. He reaches the porch and presses a hand against the front door to swing it open. He ducks his head in swiftly, looking left and right, like a commando he's heard in the radio serials. You can just make out the soiled carpet. Musty wallpaper. Golden lamps tarnished and choked with trailing ivy. Cracks of light through the shuttered windows. The house, at first sight at least, does appear to be unoccupied. It's all safe. There's nothing in here. I can't see a thing. What can you make out in there, darling? Is there a phone? On the wall, but it looks like it's broken. And there's something on the floor. Huh. Someone's been drawing pictures. Gary? Darling, I think it might be time to... You stay where you are. Gareth, are you listening to me? Leave all of that alone now. Come back outside. It's on the walls, too. On the door frame. On the stairs. Trees drawn amongst the ivy. A black hill and something walking on it. And under the hill there's something written. It says, There's them that lead and them that chase. 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 There's 
them that lead and them that chase. Gareth turns back towards us. He smiles, uncertainly, and raises a hand as if to let us know that it's all right, it's quite all right. We don't need to worry about him anymore. There's a faraway expression on his face, which is hard to explain. Like he's realising something. It's already too late. I can see that now. His eyes are rolling over white. His face is growing red, then purple, the veins across his forehead and cheeks engorging. Gareth opens his mouth as if he wants to speak to us to explain the truth he's realising. But nothing comes out. No sound at all. His mouth only gapes. Wider and wider. And he begins swaying back and forth, taking a few uncertain steps then careening more violently with each new motion, until finally he collides with the plaster of the hallway and drops forwards onto his knees, and that's when he begins to scream. No, not a scream. Nothing with intelligence or consciousness in it. This is the mindless bray of a thing that is faced with the agony of its own annihilation but doesn't understand why or how to stop it. I put my arm out instinctively to block Charity from stepping forwards towards him. She's crying out his name. Something is beginning to press forwards through his face. Twisted horns slicing out through his cheeks on either side. It's a second face. An elongated bone white elk skull splitting forwards through the gunge of his bursting cheeks and his nose those black eyes still set in place and rolling madly behind the streaming flaps of skin as he bucks and strains lurching forwards and back his broken hands clutching at his ruined face and the birch antlers climb and grow overhead out of the wreckage of his silenced mouth, like trees rising in salute towards the sun. The elk of birch and bone rolls his two faces back and forth, trying to get a look at us. He's growing taller. His impossibly long and winnowing legs are groping forwards, the bark cracking beneath the pressure, his bulk steaming and dripping before us, and his fingers claw helplessly around the bloodied hooves that have broken from his palms. He doesn't know what he is. He doesn't understand. 
and he is afraid. He's going to charge us. Get up on the roof! No! We can't just! No! She does as she's told, clambering over the step of my outstretched palms, and I hoist her up onto the cramped roof of the porch. Her legs kick out, narrowly missing my head, and then she's gone. I'm left alone on the ground to make my own way up after her. The elk of birch and bone is lurching back and forth before me, clawing at the carpet, his antlers smacking against the confinements of the hallway. I take a breath, gaze upwards and make the jump. My fingers claw at the side of the porch roof and find purchase. I writhe furiously upwards, lifting my legs in desperation, and I swear I can feel the tips of the antlers passing just beneath my kicking feet as the colossal shape that was Gareth rampages forward out of the old house down the hill. Up on the roof I turn back to look and wish I hadn't. The elk of birch and bone dashes out over the clearing, its feet sinking into the soil, and then it freezes because the snare dogs are closing in all around it. Three of them now, and taller, upon their winnowing and tree-like legs. Less dog-like than they were before. And as they charge, their faces split down the centre two long and winding jaws that close like snares. The elk bucks and circles. It tosses its head, braying and bellowing in dumb fear, swinging its antlers back and forth to try and keep the snapping jaws at bay. It isn't used to these new, tortured limbs. It isn't sure what to do about the thick, wetland mud that it's sinking slowly into. It doesn't last long. The snare dogs lunge in, one at a time, choosing their moments. The nooses close around the elk's flesh, tighten for an agonising moment, and then release. Thick, red circlets of blood are developing across its thighs and its shins. The dogs watch the beast turn and bellow and bleed and turn and bleed until its movements weaken and the turning slows. And when the time is right, they converge once more. From beside me, Charity is silent, her face cupped in her hands, breathing hard. When the biggest of the dogs settles its spooling mouth around the elk's throat and tightens and chokes, splitting the juggler, I hear her gasp and look away. I keep watching. Whatever this is, it's part of the ritual. So it has meaning. Any of this could be useful to us for what's coming next. 
Once they're finished, and whatever they're doing, they're not eating it. They leave behind what they destroy. The snare dogs turn, rearing up onto their long hind legs and scatter once again into the trees. We're left alone on the porch roof in the growing dusk as the mangled carcass of the elk of birch and bone steams and twitches in the grass below. (laughs) Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! I'm sorry. I'm sorry, all right? I need her to stop. I need quiet and space to think. It's just not! It isn't! It's better if you don't look at him. Her head is in her hands. She lifts it to look at the mangled, steaming carcass laid at the porch entrance. She puts her head in her hands again. The body beneath us is flowering. Its antlers and twisted ribcage are winding into the sky like newborn white branches, tugging the weight of the carcass upwards as the birch grows. Ivy is swarming up and out in every direction from the blood that pools beneath the body. It's an extraordinary thing to behold. We're both going to die here, I think. I get to my feet, feeling the porch roof creak gently beneath me. And that's when I realise something. Before us is only forest, but behind us, just visible past the ruined roof of the house, I can see the road. A thin strip of concrete, coiling faintly between the trees and the distant river. Less than a quarter mile away, It's almost funny. We came so close to getting out of here alive. And so we wait. Me, my companion, her shock and grief and incomprehension. All of us perched on the roof of the old crumbling house in the dusk in the growing darkness, waiting for something to change. Until Finally, it does. Whoa, wait! 
something! Where? Down on the road! Right there! It was a long way off. It's gone now, but I think it was a car or a van pulling up. It must have stopped somewhere behind the tree line. I don't... I don't see anything. Are you sure? I think so. It was slowing down. But uh, it's such a long way away. And those things... I don't know if I can... I need you to be sure. Did you see it? Yes. Yes, I think so. To hell with it. All right, listen to me. I'm going down there. I'll try and make a run for the road. Are you sure? It'll be too dark for anyone to see us up here. If that is my friend, I need to get close enough to catch his attention. If you hear a car horn sound four times in succession, then get down and run for the road as fast as you can. If you hear me say anything else, if you hear me scream, then stay up here and wait for dawn. Maybe it'll make a difference. Okay. Thank you, um... Carpenter. It was a... Charity, wasn't it? That's right. Nice knowing you, Charity. All right. Here I go. Wish me luck. What's wrong? I just thought... How impressive it was that you spotted those headlights all the way down on the road. Since you can't see a thing without your glasses. Oh, that was just exaggerating. You saw how it could be. You know, maybe you're right. Maybe, Maybe I got it wrong. I really can't be sure. It just seemed like... Oh, I wish I could be sure. Well, now you're just laying it on too thick. My vision's always been fine, actually. But he liked it when I forgot my glasses. It gave him a reason to be firm with me. I did get that impression. You're not going to pretend you feel bad for him. Not especially. I feel a little bad for myself. You'd have let me go to my death. It might have been kinder. You could have gone on thinking there was a chance. Right until the end. Every faith has its lures. Sweet-faced young acolytes who are sent out into the world to hand out the flowers, whisper kind enticements, and lead the faithless into the sacrificial grounds. I was one myself once. I'm staring at another one now. Well, what now? Shall we have a battle of wits to decide what happens next? I'm not all that witty. I was just going to see if I could push you off the roof. (laughs) Let me take that option off the table then. She slips nimbly down over the edge of the porch roof and drops. I get to my feet. The three snare dogs are back, waiting patiently beside the flowering elk. Just sat back, 
on their pale, hairless haunches. Their spit faces loll open, tongues dangling from their exposed throats. Perfectly still and silent. I didn't even hear them coming. And as Charity strides forward and takes her place beside them, the dogs nuzzle and croon around her, their bodies unwinding upwards around hers. Will you join us for another chase? I promise it won't take long. Not what I saw. We can wait for you to fall asleep, but then he'll be hurting for longer when it comes. Oh, I'm sure. Step into the chapel. Read what's written upon the walls. You can call a god into you. No, no, thank you. I'll just settle in here. Well, now. What next, my river? Seems like an anticlimactic ending for me. But I have nothing. No tricks up my sleeve, nor left to run. You've left me with nothing. No, that isn't quite true, is it? I have one torch. It's light, too faint to reach anyone of use. I have one battered copy of the Silt Verses. I have one pack of matches. And beneath the broken window, I have the mouldering church and its rotting carpets. Seems like fate. The pages sear and catch flame. That's going to be a more painful way to die. Probably. I'd like you to reconsider before you do any damage. You've shown nothing but respect for sacred places up to this point. Yeah, well, I hope I burn your fucking woods to ash. Don't do it. My savage, terrible, lonely river. If you're capable of listening to me, if you've ever listened to me, don't let me become this woman's sacrifice. Let me become a beacon. Would have been embarrassing if it didn't spread. But it does. Fire rolls up across the moth-eaten carpet and the walls of the hallway below. She looks pissed. The snare dogs are dancing furiously back and forth across the lawns, snarling and howling as their rotten church goes up in flames. The staircase is alight. The upper rooms are already beginning to glow as the fire takes the second floor. It feels good. Satisfying. The smoke or the heat will probably kill me in a little under ten minutes. Carpenter! You're going to suffer, you hear me? You're going to suffer! Most likely. Unless I get lucky, and Faulkner hasn't been waylaid somewhere and he sees the flames from his waiting place in the road. And if I don't get lucky, at least I get to die on my own terms. Alone.
and spiteful. She doesn't answer. She's vanished into the darkness. But a moment later, I hear something else. The snare dogs are crying from somewhere below me. It's a different sound than it was before. Angry and mournful as the flames rise above me to the cracked roof. Back towards the darkness, exultant. And that's when I understand the source of their frustration. Hope stirs in me. There's a pair of headlights out on the distant road below, flickering to life. It's Faulkner. It has to be. I've been seen. The incredibly faint sound of an engine starting up, and the headlights turn and wheel in our direction. He's going off-road, rolling uncertainly through the trees towards us. van is rolling up through the grass. It's slowing down. I can see the slender white shape slinking through the trees towards him. I can't let him stop. Shit. I take a few steps back. Breathe deeply. And I take the leap from the roof of the porch. I bend my knees before I hit the ground. My ankle twists and cracks beneath me all the same. Pain lances upwards. And I can hear the sound of pounding feet coming for me. So I run for those bright headlights as fast as I can. make it. As I stumble up into the passenger seat, I feel teeth snapping down around my calf. Hot, piercing teeth tearing at muscle and flesh. Weight dragging me back. I writhe around and she's right there on all fours, her eyes shining bright with excitement. Her face unwinds on either side, splitting in the centre. Her jaws open up like a trap. I aim right between the middle of those hollow eyes with my free leg. And I kick. Then the lead and then that... Drive! You fool! Drive!
is your leg? Carpenter, can you hear me? Carpenter. Carpenter. They always want answers out of you, don't they? I never know what to tell them. Blood running free. In my hands, over my hands. Runs like a river. Keep on running. Keep on running. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.